Hello and welcome to episode 225 of What Most People Think and oh my gosh we're recording this on Monday just before lunchtime and the cam is back, return of the cam, David Cameron's back, Suella's out, Cleverly's home secretary, it's all been going on and I just say, just first and foremost I've got to thank Rishi Sunak for doing this just before I recorded the podcast because it was very likely I was facing the fact of talking about shit that nobody would have cared of by the time we had all the reshuffle shenanigans this morning. At that point, I'm going to bring in uh, this week's returning guest, Marcus Brigstock. What's going on? I mean, it's EastEnders, isn't it? This is nuts. This is genuinely nuts. Like, it's very rare that a piece of political news breaks and you have to go and Google, how is this even allowed? You know, like, I think they have to urgently make David Cameron a lord yeah. in order for him to take up this position. Yeah, yeah. You, I, maybe you can fast track it. Maybe it's just like speedy boarding, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got to immediately make him a lord. I mean, this all feels like politics of another era, doesn't it? It totally does. And what's super weird as well is to think, well, hang on. Did the phone calls then go in on sort of Friday hmm. when Sunak rings Cameron and goes, look, that whole sticky Brexit thing, I feel like we can move on from there. I'm going to sack Suella, but I can't do it till after the weekend because of everything that's happening. Are you in? Because he can't have done it this morning. No, no, you would have imagined with the scale of this move. I mean, we'll get on to having like a big chat about all of it, but you would have had to imagine that there were several ducks in a row. And who knows, you know, maybe like Sunak has just moved to sort of play in a select your all-time 11 type version of politics where <laughs> by the time this goes out... Churchill will be back at the Admiralty. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and as one of my Twitter followers very funnily said, that he'll be gutted to find out there are only 10 ships left. But uh, we will get onto all of that. And then, of course, you know, there was the protest stuff to catch up on from the weekend. And for the patrons, we're going to have a, a little chat with Marcus. Both of us are guys that do uh, topical comedy, so we'll be getting into uh, what's happening there. Speaking of which, new patrons. we got a VIP. So what I do, Marcus, is I welcome these people and then I insult them based exclusively on their name. I mean, the first one's fairly straightforward. He's a VIP. So first up, I mean, what do VIPs get? You know, when you go on holiday and they give you like an orange juice in a champagne flute? Yeah, exactly. Possibly quite a stiff volivant that's been <laughs> knocking around, you know, or some local delicacies that they say are local delicacies. Therefore, you have to eat them. A stiff volivant and a local delicacy. <laughs> it does make you feel special, though, after a long flight, doesn't it, when you just have a, a little flute of orange juice in. You go, this is why we paid extra, babe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me, this is definitely, definitely worth it. You know, when you check into a hotel as well and they go, we have been able to upgrade you, and then mm. you see the room you're going in and you go, Christ, that was a narrow escape because <laughs> this is still quite shit. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have uh, managed to upgrade you from misery to... To low cupboard. <laughs> I'm very easygoing about travel standards. You know, when it's just me, if I'm not with the wife and the kid, something like a clean prison will do for me. <laughs> Hence, I enjoy a Travelodge. But I actually hit my Travelodge bottom line. I wanted to find out if you've ever done this. I stayed in a Travelodge that was equidistant between Lyme Regis and Taunton, where my two tour shows were. But I had to exit the Ilminster Travelodge. And I love the brand, but I've got to say, I can get past a lot of things, but a persistent smell in the room. Yeah. Some smells you can acclimatise, yeah. 
a smell is unbearable. It's worse than a noise, mm. but a smell will properly drive you mad. So what time did you leave the room, Jeff? Well, I got there. I checked in early in the day and I thought, right, I'm going to stay here tonight. I'm going to acclimatise to the smell. And then I woke up. The, so I was supposed to be there for two days. And then I woke up in the morning. Yeah, it was a basically an emergency upgrade to the Holiday Inn in Taunton, which I've got to say, I mean, I don't want to forget my roots, but it was such a nicer <laughs> experience. And it fucking had a swimming pool as well. I can't put a price on like the uplift in my mood. So with my touring now, and you know very well, I'm a, I'm a man of certain tastes. I'm posh, you know. <laughs> but with my touring, I don't go mad. It's not like five star or anything, but anywhere that's got a steam room, a sauna, a pool, anything like that to do during the day, I book that. It's worth its weight in gold because quite often what I'll find myself doing is I will go – and pay extra for like a pure gym or something like that, which is like 15 quid anyway. The joy of having a workout in the hotel and walking back to the room in your shorts and T-shirt and then having a bath in a tiny fucking bath. <laughs> a tiny hip bath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, because the, the access to the pool is obviously during the day if you're a comics, the middle of the day, and quite often during the middle of the week. And it's amazing how many hotels sublet their pools to school groups. Mm. who are coming in for their swimming lessons. So you think to yourself, oh, I've done a big tour date. I've got another 150 miles to do. I'm going to have a nice swim. And then you're in there with about 70% piss and screaming children. <laughs> I like getting in that head state where you kind of like your desire to have a quiet swim kind of supersedes children's need to learn to swim. I feel the same as you. I'm like, I'm totally okay with children learning how to swim because they just do it in a river. <laughs> Exactly. Where, to be honest, they're going to learn quicker. They're going to learn much, much quicker. And there's no one likes the term natural wastage, but here we all are. (laughs) Thin the herd, thin the herd. I think that's what they said at the COVID inquiry. (laughs) New Patriots. And we've got, he's a good name, the first guy, Charles Butcher. The name screams serial killer. So it does. Charlie Butcher. (laughs) And if he's like just this really gentle sort of beta male, <laughs> Butcher's a strong surname, Mr. Butcher. The Butchers are coming over. There was a Butcher in EastEnders, wasn't there? There was Pat Butcher as well. Oh, Pat Butcher, of course. Yeah, there you go. The Butchers are coming over. Make sure we remove anything that could snag an earring. <laughs> uh, we've got other new patrons. We've got Andy Brown. I mean, God, if I was had a kind of English name generator, like an app, Andy Brown, very difficult to get anything with that. In the stereotype of who listens to Jeff's podcast, Mm. you're absolutely nailing it, mate. Charles Butcher, Andy Brown. Well, you know (laughs) what? Well, let's throw in a curveball here. Joe Tipper, and the surname is T-I-P-A. I worked on an oil rig with an Andy Brown. I don't know if it's the same one, but... you worked. Sorry, you worked on an oil rig? I worked on an oil rig for a bit, mate. Yeah. In what capacity? I'm only vocalising what all the listeners are I saying. I know, yeah. Heads. But I worked on a rig that they towed into the Cromarty Firth, right? So when the exploration rigs are knackered and need fixing up, they tow them into the Firths in the northeast of Scotland so that they're sheltered and you can get supplies to and from and all the rest of it. So initially I was on there as a sort of deckhand and stuff, and then they realised that I was soft-handed, posh and useless. On one occasion they sent me ashore with the credit card for the rig to do the shopping. And I said, okay, well, what are the rules? You know, like what's the budget limit and all the rest of it? And they said, there isn't one, you know, you just get Mm. what we need. 
So I took the company credit card of an oil company and it was in Vergordon, so the shopping wasn't amazing, but I came back with incredible ingredients. And then I never really worked outside again. They were like, this bloke, now this bloke here, he knows what he's doing, right? So when Chase needed, we sent him ashore. I was bringing back like whole fresh salmon and stuff like that. It was Saffron. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then I cooked them. They asked for mints and tatties. And obviously, I made a sort of rich ragu and stuff. They sent it all back. If we wanted fucking bolognese, we'd have asked for it, you know. I worked on the rig for seven months. I mean, Andy Brown sort of sounds like a guy that would work on a rig. I'm Marcus Briggs, I imagine you'd you be the guy that gets choppered in. <laughs> and we have David Farwell, who basically sounds like the guy who owns the fucking rig. <laughs> Domain Talking Point, which David Domain, our super patron, brings up stuff from the last show. And clarifies, um, we were talking about a slogan to push the Patreon for my podcast. I was sort of saying it was early ad-free and with bonus content, but David's taking it one step further. He said, what most people think is online, on your smart speaker, and your smartest suit. I don't know, I don't have a smartest suit. I have one suit that I wear for corporates, weddings, and sudden job interviews. So <laughs> I think I think it's a good effort, but I don't know if it really sort of encapsulates the sartorial fucking disaster that I often am. Also, I mentioned the currency of North Korea. Do you know it? It's just as a little... Um... North Korean currency? No, I've never been. Don't know. I think that is true of pretty much most people on the planet. That's kind of how they want it, isn't it? It's a bit like a bit like Norwich, isn't it? Where they don't really have a proper road to get there. North Korea uh, and Norwich. The currency of North Korea is the one, the centile of which is the chon. Okay. I mean, it's not, I would imagine, as international currencies go. It's not absolutely smashing it on the global market, is it? No. The Vietnamese have a dong. Do they? Yeah, yeah. Everything's traded in dongs, which... The whole time I was there, I continued to find funny. How many dong will that be? <laughs> dong, or can you, will you take a one, Chon? <laughs> See, we're both trying to stop ourselves saying jokes. Like, like for our own personal safety, uh, let's move on to the thank you and the fuck you. What most people think. The thank you this week, I will handle. And it, yeah, it, it's the holiday in Taunton. You kind of scooped me up, guys. You scooped me up when I was at my lowest point. It was four days on the road in the West Country. You gave me sanctuary and you gave me a biscuit in the room. That's what I needed. Oh, that's the one. So, yeah, the Holiday Inn. Maybe I'm finally upgrading, but I promise never to forget who I am. The fuck you, Marcus. A little gripe. Do you know, I sort of hate myself for this, right? But I've got to say it. So the self-checkout, I'm not as upset about the self-checkout as a lot of people are. They're everywhere now. But the landing pad for your shopping is about the size of a contact lens. <laughs> and I won't have it. I will not have it. When I shop, I really enjoy shopping for groceries. I always have. I really enjoy it. I find it a very therapeutic experience. And when I shop, I like to get, if I can, big amounts of stuff because it's much, much cheaper in the long run. And basically, you can't fit anything on these fucking things. Our local co-op, the balancing bit where you put all your shopping is roughly the size of my phone. They are small. When did they get this small? I tell you who's nailing them is uh, Aldi. Whoa, you just went off brand, helicopter guy. I know, I know. But not only is the landing area for your shopping massive, you could get a chopper on it and they sell them in the <laughs> middle aisle. But the barcodes, <laughs> quite sensibly, take up about half the product that you're buying. So you can scan from anywhere from any angle. I don't mind self-checkout. I just don't want to be shit at it. 
Yeah, and also there is sometimes it's very ambiguous as to which one is the one you put your basket on and which one is the one that, what do you call it, the landing zone? Yeah, the landing pad. I love it that you've managed to introduce quite a macho element to your (laughs) your shot. Babe, I wasn't hitting the landing zone. as as, The hot zone. (laughs) I was coming in hot off the barcodes. (laughs) I do in Aldi. I can scan and land my shopping in Aldi in under a minute. Is it like a Formula One fucking tyre change? Yeah, yeah. But the thing that upsets me too is the place I go all the time is the co-op because it's nearest and they have a camera so you can watch yourself being pathetic and losing your shit. You're literally watching yourself going, oh, for fuck's sake, there's more Satsumas fall off. (laughs) I'd say that the co-op have done something very smart, which is they've got a bit of de-aging on that camera because how I look in that co-op camera is not how I look. You know the thing you can do on Zoom where it sort of says, like, touch up your image, the co-op? Yeah. Well, you know, like, sometimes in gyms they have downlighting to make you look more muscular. So, yeah, basically I do most of my shopping at the co-op these days. Okay, we're going to move on and talk about the first of uh, this week's main subjects, which is the the big Rishi reshuffle. So, yeah, Monday morning, Rishi Sunak has provided us with, let's be honest, great content. Above all else, let's not forget that politics is is a serious business and we should expect the best from our politicians. But every once in a while, just give us something to fucking talk about. You know, I mean, it's like the royal family. You're there partially. (laughs) Sometimes it's a ceremonial role. And by God, did Rishi pull the rabbit out of the hat today. But it won't be without controversy. So let's start off by talking about the one that everyone's sort of expected, Suella Braverman. Now, there are a lot of people on the right right that will be you know, disappointed about this, frustrated, thinking that she just said what everyone else was thinking and all that sort of stuff. I mean, let's just look at what happened in the run-up to it. She called the marches hate marches. It's absolutely legitimate to say that there are hateful people on those marches, but that was going quite far. She broke ministerial protocol and an article, an op-ed was in the Times, you know, that in itself is not ideal. And then she kind of mugged off the police publicly, which for a Home Secretary is quite a big shout. So, look, I know not everyone would agree with me, but I sort of got the impression towards the end, Marcus, that she was like, you know, one of those footballers in an old old firm derby that's just running around going in (laughs) two-footed studs up, just trying to win the support of the home fans to show that they're passionate. I mean... Just get me off. Get me... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, listen, this is a straight lift from the last thing I listened to from Lewis Goodall. But I'd be really interested to know what you think. Who is she talking to? I mean, you say the right right might be disappointed. And maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, the hardest available line on immigration calling pro-Palestinians, which would contain huge groups of Muslims, although by no means exclusively hateful. Like, yeah, I can see that, but I've not been sure for a while who she's talking to. I think it's a weird thing that's happened with the Conservative Party is that some of them are actually... You know when Boris got in in 2019, it was all going to be forget Twitter, forget the kind of woke karate and the social media bubble. We're just going to govern how we see fit. I get the impression some of them actually do look at Twitter too much. So I think that Suella Braverman speaks for not as many people as some in the party like to think. I mean, if you just look at all the things she said, right, they're not unusual opinions. You'll you'll Mm, see those mm. opinions. But the point was, 
for all three of them in one week from a home secretary. That's kind of like the issue. It's a bit like, you know, the Labour manifesto in 2019. If you looked at those economic policies, a lot of people supported them individually, but they didn't want them all to happen within like six fucking months. So, you know, and there was this idea, you know, she kind of war-gamed this reaction anyway. She kind of wanted to get fired. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I'm sure of that. She doesn't want to be in a cabinet position when, I say when, I mean if, they lose the next election. It looks likely the Tories will lose the next election and somewhat likely they'll lose really, really big. So she doesn't want to be in a cabinet position then because that totally screws up her re-entry to make a a leadership bid. But again, I don't doubt she wants to be leader. Personally, I don't think she's bright. Whenever I saw her on Question Time when she was Attorney General, I was like, I think an Attorney General ought to be able to be more articulate under a little bit of pressure. And I've never thought with anything she said, statements, speeches, whatever, that she's particularly smart. So I'm unclear what she wants with the leadership of the party, but maybe she's sincerely passionate about the stuff that she's doing. But isn't it like, you know how I get sometimes annoyed with the guy that presents IT uh, News at 10, uh, Tom Bradby, because mm. he's a bit slick and he throws in a lot of colloquialisms and go, look, guys, and all this shit. I sort of think, and then he gives opinions. I sort of think, if you want to do that, then sit on the other side of the desk, mate. You know, yeah. be the analyst. And I sort of think, one of the things about being Home Secretary is there's some stuff you've got to do. It's a bit like Cameron said to Corbyn, you know, wear a tie, sing the national anthem. And yeah. when you're Home Secretary, don't slag off the police in public and accuse them of bias. There are a lot of people that will think that, see some validity in the way that different events have been policed. I mm. think that that's fair mm. enough. One thing I'm not sure about, and we will probably touch on this in the protest, is that I think her description of them as hate marches cut through. I do think people heard about that. I'm not sure her op-ed in the Times was as widely read by some of the angry blokes storming around <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think that that was slightly overestimated by the social media bubble. And I'm sort of like jumping on this early, but I've got, you know, the videos of the counter protesters far right, you know, they go under loads of different names. Some of the ages of those guys, like you see the young guys and cultures always have, you go, all right, the young guys are angry. That's what happens in societies. But some of these guys are like, mate, you are 62. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't care how patriotic or angry you are, but just fucking take your grandkids to Legoland, mate, and chill out. Yeah, exactly. You'll have a much better time. And also, I wouldn't go charging about if I was you, because you don't look as if you'll make it all the way home. <laughs> it was, it was, it's funny, isn't it? Because all these things are deadly serious, but every once in a while, you just see one thing and there was like, you know, this young guy shouting at a Waterloo station. You go, oh God, this is a bit tense. And then you see this old guy and you go, what are you still doing out, mate? It's Saturday evening, Strictly's on in a while. So James Cleverley becomes Home Secretary and he inherits quite a febrile terrain, really, where issues around protests remain. I've always thought with Cleverley, I mean, like, the follow-back pro-Europe type people really hate him. And, of course, we're going to have a lot of very original centrist dad jokes about his surname. I mean, I don't know which way they're going to go with that, Marcus. His name's sure, Cleverley. Yeah, yeah. We can only just sort of stay tuned and see how that transpires. I, I do think that Cleverley is an underrated politician in a, in a way because... He has like more warmth about him when he talks. I think that a lot of people will see, you know, something of what Boris had yeah, yeah. of the bloke in a pub. I mean, I don't know if this kind of guy you'd have a pint with thing is really a real thing in society where we all just pull up at a bar and chew the cud with some fucking stranger at a Weatherspoons. But I think Cleverly has a bit about that. And, and I think that, you know, he's been Foreign Secretary at like quite a serious time. So it might play out better to the old, you know, the sort of right-wing Lib Dems, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's really hard to know looking at what 
Sunak's done, like beyond cleverly going to the David Cameron thing, is Sunak trying with that to occupy as much middle ground as he possibly can and soften everything and put it all back? I sort of assume he is. Hmm. I'll be interested to see. I mean, Labour came straight out and said that only last week Sunak had said that David Cameron was part of the old status quo that we needed to get rid of, and now he's brought him in. Very fair point. (laughs) A week later, you know, it feels very much like the deck chairs are being moved around the deck at this stage. Well, I saw somebody say the deck chairs are being moved around on the Titanic. Then somebody said that the iceberg is being allowed to navigate the Titanic, and there was there was a string of (laughs) string of toppers for that idea. There is a like. Look, let's make a, a balanced point here. Could be that Sunak is gone, right? Definitely going to lose the election. Like a cricket team. You know I mean? A cricket team are like, yeah. they're following on. They're still 300 runs behind. They're 220 for like nine. He's just gone, all right, let's put good people in these positions for the remainder of the time. James Cleverly is, I think, a natural Home Secretary, potentially. David Cameron, at a time of high international stakes, Ukraine, Israel, somebody with, I mean, I know that he's obviously got a tarnished, reputation in this country and we've seen the clip of Danny Dyer you know talking about him sitting home with his fucking trotters up right so that's (laughs) done the round but he is you know he's recognized on the world stage and it could be that Sunat's just gone I reckon this guy will do a good job for the remainder of the time we have in office I assume that's exactly what he's done I'm gobsmacked that David Cameron's up for it when you consider how monumental the last big decision he made was was just to call that referendum and then consider how little we've seen of David Cameron since that moment. Like he just disappeared. You know, there was one picture on the steps of his shepherd's heart, wasn't it? And that was it. You don't hear him. He's not commentated. He's not going. He hasn't got a podcast. I mean, he hasn't God, got a podcast. All... <laughs> That's weird. That is very fucking strange. He hasn't shown up at party conference in any major sense. He has kept his head so far down. I've always assumed is his choice. It's not that people wouldn't have gone and asked. Because he's quite articulate. He's quite good in an interview, David Cameron. His approval ratings were high while throughout the time he was in office. I suppose you could compare it in a way to Haig, where you go, if I'm going to come back, I'm going to come back for the job where you fly around a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, where, sure, where you, sure. Can I do the job where you get to go White House? I want to go White House. I, I want to go meet Macron. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the one job where you go, I can actually keep some status here. And I suppose he might think that he had unfinished business because at the time when he won that election, like he won a majority, you know, so yeah, yeah. Brexit sort of did disrupt him to an extent. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the clip on Sky News where Cameron gets out of the ministerial, well, out of the black car sort of thing. And it is well worth watching because Kay Burley and some other guy, you just capture their real time shock. And in my mind, you could superimpose like EastEnders doof doofs on it. She actually <laughs> says... David Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was a bit of a throwback to as tumultuous as the Brexit years were. It did establish politics as one of the best ongoing dramas in a while. It hasn't felt like that recently. Just every so often you get that season finale fucking moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about it being like beyond the pale and and amazing. I mean, Ed Miliband, you know, was Cameron's opposite number throughout the 2010-15 period. And he is in the shadow cabinet. Yeah. I guess, you know, Miliband did not have the legacy of having called a Brexit referendum. And then... His legacy is still the bacon sandwich. He's, yeah. Still. Still feels worse in a way. Like, if Cameron comes back and he's, Ed Miliband sees him like at the White House, he'd be going like, fuck this guy, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, come on. 
I thought you'd go fuck off. All I did, I ate a bacon sandwich like an absolute fucking muppet. <laughs> and you, you just walked out of number 10 after being democratically elected and calling a referendum. I mean, it, it has been an astonishing day. I mean, what, given that all the discussion for the previous 72 hours was about protests, I think in some ways there are a lot of people who'd be grateful to just not have to see some of those things, those clips, those videos, you know, that stuff for a while. Quick hype, uh, I've got to say, I am got a charity gig that I'm going to be publicising soon for the Men and Boys Coalition, and I think I'm going to call it Standing Up for Blokes and Boys. I did consider calling it Only Bloking, but that sounds more like a stand-up <laughs> tour. And I'm really proud to say that, Marcus, you're going to be on the bill for that night. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. So do stay tuned. We've got a brilliant lineup. Catherine Ryan's going to do it. Big Tom Davis is going to do it. Jacob Hawley, who some of you have seen out supporting me on tour. So just stay tuned and I need everybody's support when that goes to press. So no hype for my own stuff this week. I just want to lay some track to get tickets sold for that. And Marcus, what, what about yourself, mate? Any uh, tour dates, social media stuff? At the moment, I'm gigging around, just sort of having fun, to be honest. I finished my tour in the spring and then I did a really, really fun, very stupid show called Cheese and Wine in Edinburgh. Wine spelt W-H-I-N-E, where I genuinely paired cheeses with people's complaints. And I thought, well, that's just a pun, isn't it? It's nothing. But it turns out, like, it works brilliantly. The thing I've really enjoyed about it is, you know, most of the questions I ask the audience on stage are simply to get me to my next bit. Sorry for pointing to the man behind the curtain, but that's the stand-up way. This is a thing where when I talk to the audience, I am totally in that conversation and we see where it goes and get as close to what they're really talking about as possible. So I'm doing cheese and wine intermittently, but otherwise I'm just having fun gigging. And finally, uh, yeah, screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trail it here. Finally, Rachel, my wife, and I are doing a podcast You haven't been in government, though. (laughs) Well, I know. And I consider that a favour to the UK because, you know, with the upbringing I had, the fact that I haven't held a position in the cabinet is extraordinary. That's an act of rebellion. You're just showing off to your family. It really is. But yeah, Rachel and I are finally putting a podcast together. We've kind of like, I mean, you'll know, I listen to a lot of podcasts now and, uh, and there are some where people mind about what they're making and there are an awful lot where people don't. How dare you? No, no, no. Listen, I only say yes to the ones that where I think people mind about what they're making. No, no, I know what you mean. Like, if someone goes like two and a half hours, you go, nothing needs to be tucked in two and a half hours long. No. It's not Hamlet, for fuck's sake. You know, no, exactly. Put a sting in there, mate. <laughs> We're working on that and we'll be launching it in January. That's kind of the big thing. Other than that, mate, you know, we've got a two-year-old. That's the main project. Yeah. So the main thing I should hype is just that people need to send you sympathy and... uh, Yes, please. And patience. There's an app called Coffee where you can buy people a coffee online, you know, if you've enjoyed something they've made. And uh, it's really good, actually. And I'm going to set one up called Calpol, where you can just (laughs) buy a bit of Calpol for my family. Not for the kid. We drink it. It's lovely. That could work. (laughs) 
Okay, over the weekend, it was built up a lot, these protests. I mean, let's be honest, the media were doing that thing where they were sort of looking forward to it, weren't they? But they had to act like it was awful. But it was kind of like a boxing pay-per-view, weren't they? Where, just, oh, oh we're, I mean, it'd be dreadful. I mean, imagine it? if he gets stumped so hard, he, you know, he slumps down and never gets up again. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll tune in in case, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I mean, just I dread to think what stuff could happen today that it would be really easy for us to talk about. Yeah, because the details of the pro-Palestinian march, like it was available really early on that they were going nowhere near the cenotaph Mm. on the official arranged march with the police and all the rest of it, nowhere near the cenotaph and not at the same time. That was a detail that was left out until very late in the day. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people are spoiling for the drama of it all. I think that there was the question I thought was a legitimate one of whether or not it needed to happen, you know, on that day. I suppose the pro-Palestinian people say, well, it's an ongoing situation in Gaza. But, yeah, it certainly things were stoked the whole week. And it was interesting because... There were these groups. I think there was about a thousand of the counter protesters came down. And sometimes it was interesting because I would imagine that there was a a significant far right component in that. But some of the clips that people were showing saying far right, I go, can we just stop short of saying that any groups of white men walking around together are far right? You know, I I felt like there's some (laughs) sort of like, if they look old, white and angry, like they're immediately far right. But it was certainly true to say that, you know, in the morning session, it was definitely them making the run-in, literally in some cases. They broke through a very thin police line, almost strategically thin. And then... Well, do, you, do you know what they were after at that point? Well, what they said was that they'd been kettled briefly in a place and they wanted to be adjacent to an area, I think it was the Cenotaph, so they could defend it in case there was... A bit, you know, And it seemed that once they got through, the two-minute silence was observed. So that actually sort of seemed to spike and then nothing happened for a while. And then the press just played the same clip everywhere of these guys breaking through. So in the morning session, in terms of social media, it was the, you know, it was the other side. Look at these bastards. Look what you did, Suella, and and all this sort of stuff. And it does seem like there's about a thousand of them. And later on in the day, 82 were detained for trying to break off and engage uh, with the pro-Palestinian movement. So you'd say that percentage-wise, that's quite a decent percentage of people and there were probably more who were actively looking to have fights cause trouble. That's quite like a, a high percentage of the numbers of protesters who were there. You know, they found some of them were tooled up and were clearly intent on causing trouble. So obviously the social media direction in the morning was all one way. And then the pro-Palestinian march started. And of course, you know, something we've become accustomed to is these wonderful, you know, anti-Semitic placards. Great to see every single week these emboldened people. And the one that really stood out for me this week, not in a way like, oh, you know, <laughs> the anti-Semitic placard of the week was the one, I'm sure you've seen it, was the woman that was holding one of the Star of David changed into a swastika. Yeah. And I just thought, you fucking left the house with that. You were photographed holding that. And it was laminated. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you think, oh, so you were like, oh, I don't want this getting wet. Mm. I want to make sure this is still good to go, you know, all the way through the march in case there's rain. That says so much. I'm glad you said entitled as well, because that's what I see when I look at the really ugly side. Some of the people talking through a megaphone, some of the people giving interviews, some of the people carrying placards are existing in a world, in their small world, where they're sure what they're saying or what they're carrying is fine. That's just fine. That must just be fine. And I'm like, how fucking stupid are you? How thick are you? How unable to see that what you're doing is adding 
fire mm. to another fire. You are making this worse. And all of those people, all of them, every last one of them, care not a jot for the suffering of people in Palestine. Really not a jot. By the word care, I don't mean that they haven't had an emotional reaction. I'm sure they've had an emotional reaction. But care involves a bit of thought. It involves thinking, what tiny thing might I do to help here? Yeah, to spotlight the issue. And that's what I thought was interesting on both sides is that they both detracted from the thing that they claimed to care about. So the moment you break through a police line, it's like, well, I'm not really thinking about the gun stopping now. I'm thinking about this. The moment you have an anti-Semitic placard, I'm not thinking about the situation on the ground in Gaza. I'm thinking about you. I, turn, I, th- I think, and this isn't a party political point, but I think it's relevant, is that that woman turned out to be a Labour councillor, I think, from Eastbourne. And so you go... There's every more reason to be like responsible. And then as the day went on, it sort of became like clip wars where people who have a certain sort of cultural bias. Then I saw groups of uh, the counter protesters who were chanting Allah, who the fuck is Allah? And you go, well, can you really continue to claim that you're here to remember the fallen lest we forget when you've taken the words to who the fuck is Alice? And you've put in the word Allah. It doesn't really make sense anyway. It's kind of like you you, you do know what who Allah is. It's so obviously yeah. provocative. And then you cut to Victoria and you've got young fellas going around like firing fireworks at the police. There was a McDonald's there. I mean, this clip, some of this stuff was funny. Like there was a group of Palestinian protesters that went into a McDonald's and essentially ordered people out. Um, so you've got to get out because they're opening restaurants in Israel. And then the guy seemed to have a moment of self-consciousness where he realised that most of the people in that McDonald's were Palestinian protesters. <laughs> he then said, look, it's all right if you want to use the toilets. <laughs> it was proper people's front of Judea stuff. And then uh, his mate, she had a megaphone. She was like, toilets in this one don't even work. And I was like, well... <laughs> You would only know that if you come here regularly, so it sort of undermines your point a little bit. Yeah, exactly. The absolute topper, where there was a geezer at the front of the queue draped in a Palestinian flag who kind of looked around, and you could just see him way up and go, no, I really want chicken nuggets. Yeah, 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 exactly. Listen, it's cold out there. It's November. I'm going to have an apple pie, and then I'll go. There was also a large number of pro-Palestinian, it was about 100 that were detained because they were trying to engage. Obviously, you know, there's groups on either side that want yeah, to punch yeah. up. I think the point that someone made to me, which initially I thought was persuasive, was they said that, you know, 300,000 people, the percentage of people on the pro-Palestinian march who wanted to cause trouble was demonstrably lower. And I think that's a fair point. The problem is, if it's 1% of 300,000, that's still 3,000, right? So the problems for policing are still bigger. And then the thing I've really got on my mind, Marcus, is that for successive weeks now, if you're part of the Jewish community, particularly in London, you've just seen really horrible images coming out of central London again and again. You know, And I just don't know what that does to morale in a community. Not all, but I would say more than half of the Jewish people that I know all are angry and a lot are scared. Mm like genuinely afraid. And not just, I think, because of the history of, you know, where this has gone, but just because your whole being is is under attack. I'm not being able to be very articulate about this because I find it so, so upsetting that people are just so obtuse. Well, you kind of go like, in the moment you knew, like, these counter-protesters were coming down, instinctively you knew that there was a potential for sort of trouble. You would also say that it was Armistice Day weekend. 
maybe they're not going to be as present next weekend. Maybe that's not going to be an ongoing thing. So those people that uh, broke the law, I hope they get banged up, right? But this is clearly going to be an ongoing thing. You know, Sadiq Khan himself, who shared an image of people being intimidated coming out of synagogues and stuff like that. So I suppose it's like the thing looking forward is, right, if, if this is going to be a feature for as long as this conflict goes on, I don't want draconian policing, but this question of of how interventionist the police are in the moment, I think is relevant because they keep saying, well, we'll just let it go ahead and then send us your clips, right? It's almost like fucking you being framed. Send us in. Yeah, and then we'll scoop them up. We'll we'll scoop them up afterwards, 250 quid. Like, I think that you need justice to be seen to be being done. So if you're cracking one group over the head for breaking the law, just sort of letting something go because, oh, there's more of them and we wonder about how it would look if we're fighting with groups of predominantly young Asian men. I think that that is where some of that resentment can build. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's very depressing to think about where it will continue to go. My guess is that a lot of the people who are there because... They mind a great deal about the simplest end of it, you know, just about human suffering. And that's why they're there. And they would like to see an end to the violence and killing. I suspect they will be the ones who probably fall away first, not out of laziness or complacency or anything else. And what is likely to leave are the people who are like, um, this is what we do, isn't it? We'll just keep going with this and keep spreading these. Again, like I'm just gobsmacked by how obtuse a lot of the people shouting through megaphones are like, do you know, like people can hear you anyway and now you're amplifying it. I think the, the real point that comes out of, of this chat we've had here is that from both sides, it really wasn't about the things that they said that they were concerned about. And, and let's be honest, it was mainly about them. To finish the show, the final section of the show, uh, we got a letter here, and I thought this is a good jumping-off point for a chat. Uh, this is from a Patreon. I, I think I'll probably keep him, him anonymous. What he says is, little victories in life, Jeff. A girl I went on a date with at uni, during her date, her face completely dropped when I said I went to Sheffield Halam University. The whole mood changed, and she's texted me after the date saying she couldn't have a relationship with someone who went to an old poly. I mean, this must have been a few years back. She also (laughs) spun a yarn about how she wanted to become a book publisher for all the great writers without a contract. Anyway, I've just seen her selling a shite old draining board on Facebook for £7. (laughs) (laughs) A draining board. That's so beautifully demeaning. That's lovely. I know. £7 as well, isn't it? It's not like they've even had the self-confidence to go in at 10 and you know you could (laughs) knock her down to four as well. I mean, I suppose what he, the, the issue he brings up there is like when someone has done you down or done you dirty once upon a time, how okay is it to enjoy their current woes? It's totally okay. We all do it. There's nothing more delicious than the failure and pain of someone, someone who you dislike. <laughs> it's why for me, the apparent shamelessness of Liz Truss is so painful because I'm like, mm. Like you should be indoors crying and stuff. Where, where how, how come you're out and about giving a speech? What are you doing? I mean, or inspirational. I mean, like her durability to come back from like the humiliation. Did you see the picture of the prime ministers from Remembrance Sunday? Yeah. Like, there are now so many living prime ministers. They've just cutting off Liz Truss at the end because they're going. <laughs> and then someone who was particularly cruel did, um, if you scaled up the size of the prime ministers by the time of how long they were in. So Blair was really big. Cameron was quite big. Brown. And then, but I think Liz Truss was sort of looked like Stuart Little. 
Just a speck. <laughs> she was just a mouse there. But like her, her ability to believe, I mean, I've sort of been saying on tour that, that it's kind of like her trying to come back at Tory party conference was a little bit like, you know, like there's a disgraced celebrity that was suddenly on Masked Singer. Yeah, if Barry Moore's big mask head was taken <laughs> off. Or someone who's done something very recent, you know, like Russell Brand just suddenly rocks up. And you're like, oh, yeah, Russell. yeah, yeah, that's a big move. Well done. Well, yeah, we're not quite there yet. So I think it's reassuring. Like she made you doubt yourself for going to an old Polly and now she's on Facebook. I mean, do you know what the real win is in this situation, Marcus, is to buy the draining board. Yeah, buy the draining board. Or just mess with her and keep asking, is this still available? <laughs> and then just say, um, yeah, but that draining board, it actually looks like a JML and I normally use really... I just get my draining board from better places, generally. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Marcus, thanks so much for uh, being on the show again. It was great to chat. So everybody, you know, look out for Marcus doing live dates, check out his social media and obviously this podcast, which I very much appreciate the exclusive on that with Rachel Paris, another friend and friend of the show. And I'll be back. I'll probably might be doing a little what most people think breaking news this week. So keep out an eye for that as the week goes on. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and speak soon. Thank you.